Healthcare and senior care is fraught with problems and challenges, but we're also seeing some amazing new clinical treatments and resources. This show will help illuminate and uncover the good, bad, and the ugly in order to equip patients, families, and other healthcare providers. Welcome to Senior Care Confidential. Oftentimes for seniors, healthcare is entered into during crisis mode. So who do we turn to um, when these things are happening? Like what healthcare professionals are going to help us uh, navigate all this stuff when they're all trying to stay in their own lanes? And that's kind of the topic of today's um, talk. So we're talking about advocacy. And are you comfortable to be your own advocate? Do you want a family member to be your advocate? Do you want a healthcare professional to be your advocate? You do have to have somebody that can speak up for you. Um, You know, we, I am a nurse navigator. And so I'm hired to help families bridge the communication gap between the doctors, the healthcare professionals, the families. And it's so important to, when you're going through this crisis journey or any time, to really get your wishes known. Let the doctors know what you want in your healthcare. What do you want this journey to look like? And so many times communications get crisscrossed and the patient does not have the outcome that they're wanting. And so that's where I am. I step in and just help that bridge that communication. Yeah. And oftentimes the communication isn't even, isn't even happening. It's not right. that they're getting crisscrossed. It's that nobody's communicating in the first place. So, you know, as a, as a physical therapist, I've been, I've been in this field for 20 some odd years now in the last probably 13 or 14 in home health. And so I work in a lot of senior living communities. And one of the things that we learned over time was it wasn't just kind of me staying in my lane as a therapist or even collaborating with the nurses I work with. It was also, I get phone calls on a regular basis daily um, from seniors in those communities or even family members going, hey, this is what's going on. I was given your phone number because they said, you know what you're doing. And so I ended up being like a Joe. I ended up being an advocate for them. And so in several of these communities around town, I'm kind of known as the wellness coordinator. I'm just the guy that they call and ask questions to because they've all got primary care doctors. They've got they've got specialists that they work with. They might even have a home health or private duty, but there's something missing where that communication or that the attachment to resources or knowing even kind of where to turn, something's falling short. And so you and I are going to have to step in those in those roles, which, uh, you know, it's not really where we're trained, but we, we recognize that there was a need for this clearly because there's something that's not happening in healthcare. Well, I know yeah. just for you, me as a nurse, you as a physical therapist, when you go in and work with a client, you, they may not want to do the work. So is it, maybe they're in pain that's not being addressed. Maybe they're not getting a good night's sleep that's not being addressed. Maybe there's some psychosocial, maybe there's something that is preventing them. They don't understand how important it is to give that 150% to get better. Mm-hmm. So you're right. Somebody needs to be right. steering the ship. Yeah. And usually when when we're, when we're you and I are dealing with them, there's like the anxiety is on high level, right? There's a lot of stuff going on and they're trying to piecemeal all these things together. And that's notwithstanding even like the family dynamics, like who's, who's the daughter in charge? And there's a lot of times where we get multiple phone calls because there are there's a division between you know the son and the daughter the daughter's communicating the son's not somebody's not communicating like there's all those things and so there has to be some sort of adhesiveness or glue that's kind of making sure that all these 
you know, kind of check marks are being carried out as we're progressing a patient. And even with that, even those that make those decisions and have a family member that will make the medical decisions, a lot of times the family member is like, what? I don't want to make the decision, right. you, you know? Um, and so they do, they don't really understand what's going on. So there's yep. just got to be better communication yep. um, in our healthcare and for individuals. And, you know, with, with me working with seniors, you know, just because somebody is 85 does not mean they're a number. They're a human being. Right. They still have life to live. And, you know, they may have wishes that uh, they want everything aggressive done. They, you you don't know, you know, the situation yep. for each. What is the quality of life? How do you define your quality of life? Right. And so that's where we step in is just helping that family maintain the quality of life that they want to live and have the health care that they need. Yeah. And in, in, also in terms of coordination of care and something as simple as, you know, we're going to, we're going to hear a story from somebody we just interviewed, um, something as simple as the coordination of care from like a hospital to the next primary care doctor visit, you know, in, in this woman's case, Sarah, her, the hospital never even communicated with a doctor that she was in the hospital. So she shows up and she's like, Hey, I'm here. And they're like, why are you here? You know, we, we see it often, oftentimes, you know, we have a patient who goes from there, they have some sort of a fall or an injury or a healthcare crisis, you know, a congestive heart failure flare up or something. And they go to the hospital and rightfully so the doctors and the, and the medical team there have to adjust medications to kind of stabilize the patient. And then they, they may not be ready to go home yet. So then they go from the hospital to the rehab center or the skilled nursing facility. And now the meds change again, because now, you know, we're having to, we're having to do, look at things a little bit differently. And then they go home from there and now they've got three different med lists. We've got a med list from the hospital. We've got a med list from the skilled nursing facility of the rehab hospital. And now we've got the previous med list they were on and they come home and go, Brian, I have no earthly idea what I'm supposed to be And taking. then they call their primary doctor who says, I don't know because I haven't seen the patient. Right. So you need to bring your patient in. Well, yep. what if the patient is bed bound and can't come in? Yep. And so what do you do? Who is in charge? Yep. So that's where we are. You know, with our um, friend, Sarah, who's calling in, um, she has had so many issues, and she is just really in charge of her own healthcare journey. And I can't wait to hear and talk to Sarah about, let everybody hear what she's been through and how she has accomplished being her best advocate All right, herself. Well, let's get to it. I want to introduce a dear friend of mine, Sarah. She is an 82-year-old, professional, wonderful woman, very active in the community, um, Sarah is going to tell us about her healthcare journey and why it is so important to be an advocate for your own healthcare. So, Sarah, can you walk us through your healthcare journey in the last couple of years and how things have gone for you? Yes. Uh -huh. um, I am retired uh, and I had been very active uh, after retirement, traveling the world, volunteering, enjoying, enjoying an active lifestyle here in Texas. And for several years, um, I have had a heart condition and had been receiving care locally. I would say that um, the care that I have received locally, I have had to make some changes in my doctors um, I, I was working with. But after a recent major change in my heart condition, I decided to seek a second opinion of what I had been hearing locally. And as a result, I decided to go to the world's number one 
Art Hospital, and that is to go to Cleveland Clinic and ask for a second opinion. And I would quickly add that um, I informed my doctors here, my team, that I uh, was going to go to Cleveland Clinic for a second opinion, and they applauded that which I would say I would be very concerned about a doctor who did not agree when a patient wanted to, to obtain a second opinion. So I went to Cleveland Clinic and returned recently, and um, I realized that everybody cannot go to Cleveland Clinic, um, and the first thing people usually think of is it's going to be very costly, which... Um, you need a hotel room and a plane ticket or a tank full of gas, but it is not um, what you would think would be very costly to go. The reason I chose Cleveland Clinic is I felt that I was being my own coordinator of my health care. And I can say more about that later because that really encouraged me to go to Cleveland Clinic where they actually take a very comprehensive team approach when they address each patient. And that is that they assign a coordinating physician who then pulls all of the other disciplines together that you might need. And I did return recently and um, I returned with a different diagnosis than I had received here in Texas. And of course, that, that was concerning. I believe that's part of the reason for that different diagnosis is that um, Cleveland Clinic uses, um, first of all, they're a research, multi-specialty research institution, but they um, use advanced methods, many of which are designed there, and advanced technologies. And so as a result, I, I returned with a different um, diagnosis which now I will be sharing beginning tomorrow um, with my doctors here um, and so that we can move forward not only locally, but when I return to Cleveland Clinic. So Sarah, and I will be returning soon. So tell, you know, I know you shared with me when we were prepping for this interview, um, what happened with your doctors here in Texas and the reason that you wanted that second opinion. There was a situation with a physician here in Dallas. Can you share that with right. us? Right. I'll be happy to. Um, I had been going to um, a particular heart doctor here in Dallas for many years, and I should have been, I should have been more alert to the kind of feedback I was getting. Uh, there were times that I would accept everything's okay, you know, the test went fine. And finally, I began to say to this doctor, but I don't feel fine. I have a great deal of pressure in my chest. It comes unexpectedly. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes it can go down my, my left arm. And the pressure's so great, I literally have to take my bra off. Mm. And I'm very uncomfortable. And her response to me was, Perhaps you need a new bra. And I was, I was flabbergasted. Mm -hmm. And I, my thought was to say, which I did not know, I think I need 
a new doctor. <laughs> and so after many years, I left that practice and I found other doctors um, to work with. And they were cooperative. But again, I was, I was kind of my own um, coordinator, as I found in, in Cleveland. I had a coordinator there, but I was my own coordinator. Yep. And I decided at that point I, I wanted to get a second opinion because recently I had been told my condition is worsening. Um, I guess one of the ways that I would really uh, compare it is I built a couple of homes in my, in my day and I realized who would build a house without a general contractor? Who would build a house without having a blueprint? Yep. And who would build a house in which each room was handled by a different builder and no one really was coordinating everything? Yep. That's kind of a maybe silly example. No, but I, I think that's a perfect analogy because we look at it the same way. Because, you know, you're trying to coordinate, you know, the, the cabinet carpentry with the flooring mm -hmm. guys, with the paint guys, and all of those things have to happen in a certain sequence and coordinating. And so, you know, in a healthcare context, you're kind of becoming your own general contractor, so to speak. And so you've kind of learned that uh, in real time um, and realizing that you had to, to go a different route to find that route, the, the role that would help you with that. And I, I know, that, you know, one thing you shared with me too uh, was about your hospital stay and your post-op visit. Can you share that as well? Well, yes, uh, I'll be happy to. Um, I was admitted to the hospital uh, from emergency to the hospital and the hospital contacted my uh, physician, my heart doctor. And my heart doctor did not happen to be perhaps on call to come to the hospital at that time. So one of her associates came. And then later the nurse called and said she understood that I was out of the hospital. And I said, yes. And so the doctor, um, she wanted me to come and see the doctor. Now, I walked into the room and sat down. And when the doctor came in, she said, so what brings you here today? And I said, pardon me, what brings me here today? I just got out of the hospital. This is my post-discharge appointment. Did your associate not tell you? Did the nurse not mention it to you? I mean, does no one know why I'm here today? And so that was just a real shock to me. But then I began to think that one of the ways that we can kind of grade a doctor's practice is how coordinated the office is. Yep. And obviously they were not coordinated. So I was coming in there with no one, you know, communicating why I was there. And so that I think was, was probably um, one of the final straws is I can't, I can't be in a situation in which the doctor is not getting the information that she should get. That's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. And you're just such a good example of what happens every day. And as a nurse 
advocate. I see this every day, and it's just so sad. And we need to have solutions. There does need to be a general contractor. Um, there needs to be a leader, you know, in that hospital stay, in that team, the physician's office, the home health, just area, every area of healthcare. We have to come together and have better coordination. Agreed. Yeah. Sarah, thank you so much for sharing your time with us and your story. We really appreciate you. Well, thank you very much and, and have a good day. Thank, thank you, you so much, Sarah. Bless you. That was awesome. Thank you so much, Sarah. Um, I know Brian and I love patients like you, but unfortunately, the majority of the patients we work with are not the best advocate for themselves, and they don't know what to ask. And you know what questions to ask. Yep. And um, so I want to share a, just a family that I'm working with now. Um, my little client is about 75 pounds. She's 85. Um, she has numerous diagnoses. She is the love of her husband's life. And they found out today that she has a fistula. And that's mm. just a little, little hole um, in her... Just, vaginal area, and she's got to have repair for that surgery. Her family is very uncomfortable with having this surgery. Her husband wants to do everything he can. So they have scheduled the surgery. It is a five-hour surgery mm. for someone whose system is so compromised already. And so the questions, I, I gave him questions to ask the doctor, and one of them was, will you be following my wife? Throughout the rehab process, the hospitalization, where does your care end? Um, because what I see a lot with surgeons is they do the surgery and they depend on the rehab. They depend on the hospitalist to kind of take over. Once that sur surgery is done, they've got other patients. Yep, that's right. But the hospitalist then moves them to a rehab, and then the rehab doctor has never seen this patient and really only follows the orders of the internist, not the surgeon. And so really right there, there are already two breaks in communication. Yep. And then the specialists that are working on the other things, maybe a neuro doctor or um, urologist, are they involved with this process? Are they good with her having this surgery? Right. So there are just so many questions. Yep. Just because a surgeon says, Yes, you need to do the surgery, and she will do great. You need to ask questions because, remember, a surgeon is like a home builder. A surgeon is like a car manufacturer. They want to sell their product, yeah. um, and they want to see end results just like you do, but they have a job to do. So really, you need to ask questions, and, and I have found online you can i had a, a patient a few weeks ago 45 that had to have open heart surgery and mm. he did not know the questions to ask he went to the er was told by a nurse he had to have open heart surgery didn't even see a doctor <gasps> and so they moved him to another hospital where he finally did see a doctor and yes it was confirmed so what i did I found about 25 questions, strong questions. I just found them on the internet for him, and I emailed them to him and to his partner, and he was able to ask these questions and get the answers yep. that he wanted. And so we are blessed to have an internet that we can get answers to everything. You have to do your homework. You have to research 
you know, if you've been diagnosed with a particular disease, research what have they found? What are the things that you can do? Um, yep. There, there's such strides in technology. And Brian, I know you can yeah. add to so this. So I think some of it you can actually do on your own. You know, if you're if you are if you have the time and the and the energy. Um, to do those kind of things. I think research on your own is good. And then other times you just need to have somebody in your corner to help, you know, quarterback everything. And we heard from Sarah. And one of the things that we run into a lot is the, there's a difference between a clinical presentation, which for you and we, we know what that means, but for the audience, clinical presentation is the patient is feeling X, Y, or Z, right? And so they can kind of tell because they know what normal feels like. And in Sarah's case, she could tell, I, mm-hmm. this doesn't feel normal to me, mm-hmm. but her lab values and whatever tests the doctors did on her said, no, no, you're good, but she knew. And so this is another one of those, one of those areas where they need to be advocating for themselves or hire somebody to work with them to help with that because there are things that we just can't... As smart as we are in, in in medicine now, there are just things that are unknown to us. You know, there's things that we miss because you know it doesn't line up with what we think. And as, I think in certain circumstances, those things are necessary to kind of flesh out too. And sometimes we can do those on our own, and sometimes it takes somebody else to uh, to, to kind of help. I had a recent experience myself. This is the first time I've ever been in an inpatient hospital, um, and the staff was lovely. The, the doctors were great. Um, the challenge I had was on the back end. I needed to have the results of whatever test they were they were giving me and they had not uploaded it to the chart. And it took me multiple phone calls and multiple hours to finally get my records so that I could pass them on to my doctor. It was unbelievable. I, I couldn't believe as smart as I am and as, as um, skillful at navigating the healthcare environment that I am, it took me a, an entire morning, like five hours of nothing but straight calls to multiple different departments. And I mean, multiple departments to even get the information I needed to pass along back to my doctor. It was nuts. Imagine being a senior uh-huh. and maybe you have a little memory, some memory issues and you're trying to get the information. Um, I had a patient as well, was in a rehab and I had a hippoform sign. So I was able to advocate for the family and I asked for medical records and it took a week. I had to go all the way to the top of the chain to mm-hmm. get these medical records. And going back to that example I just shared, that we've, we've now have multiple different medication lists that we're operating off of. You know, and the, the research is pretty clear. Those first seven to 10 days are crucial. Like when you come out of a hospital, those first seven to 10 days, you have a different diet, you're on different meds, your activity level is different. You've been in a hospital for however many days or weeks. And so you're already deconditioned. Like that first week is crucial mm-hmm. to get that information. And the fact that it took you a week to get that, even as a navigator, mm-hmm. as an advocate is really, is shocking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's sad. And, and, you know, they say that squeaky wheel gets the grease. And you know what? If you have to be squeaky, and you have to just demand answers, then that's what you got to do. If you're not getting what you need, you call and you call and you call. And there are governing agencies that you can complain to as well. So we need to be our own best advocate, you know, bottom line. Or find somebody else that you trust. You know, in your case, joy care management mm-hmm. or with home health therapists and nurses or a primary care doctor that you trust that that you know goes above and beyond, you know, kind of the normal um, uh, status quo, you know, visits and moving on to the next patient. Someone who's, mm-hmm. who's truly going to follow up and make sure that things are going right. And there's plenty of us out there. there this are. is this is not to decry the entire industry. We're, we're all terribly busy, um, but it takes somebody who's going to take an extra, takes the extra effort to make sure that things are are progressing the way that they should be. Well, and you know, one thing I can say um, with COVID is we have really leaned more heavily on telehealth and Skype and FaceTime. And I've had 
meetings with families that are all over the country and we're all on the same call and it's just wonderful. We're so blessed with that. But we need to take advantage of that with our physicians too or their their nurses, um, you know, the rehabs. If, if there's a case conference, you know, they've got to meet and talk. Can you attend? Can I call in? Can I just listen in on the phone? You know, um, most families don't realize that they can advocate for their loved one and yes. they need to be That's involved right. in all these meetings and the care. They need to be coordinating the care. I would say there needs to be somebody helping coordinate, whether that's the patient or the family member or, you know, a, a, an advocacy group that they work with. Somebody has to be there helping to drive that stuff. Absolutely. Um, and so, you know, one of the things with, with discharge planners is they are wonderful and they are really trying to, you know, as, as you're transitioning from a hospital or a rehab or a skilled nursing facility, they're really trying to put the pieces together for you. They're trying to connect you with resources that may help, whether it's, you know, medical equipment or the pharmacy or home health or hospice or private duty care or whatever. They have a lot on their plate to try to help. The challenge that they have is they don't know you. They don't know what your family environment's like. They don't know what your house environment looks like. They don't know what kind of caregiver support you have. Or they may ask, it's it's they're relying on the information from, from the patient or the family. And so being an advocate at that stage is really important too to make sure that there's no there's no gaps in care from the from the hospital discharge. Yeah, and you know, families are busy too. You know, we're all busy, but but when you are admitted to the hospital and say you're having surgery or you're there for pneumonia or you're there for a UTI or whatever, you know, that discharge planner, it's a, called a care coordinator. The hospitals have a care coordinator and they're involved from the very beginning. They are they start working on the discharge process right away. Yep. So lean on that nurse or that social worker. They are there to help you coordinate. And what I have found so many times is Family members are just, they don't want to have these hard conversations. And so they kind of, you know, put their head in the sand. They don't want to be offensive. Yes. Yes. And you need to get answers. And then when it's time to discharge, what? It's going to cost this? And well, I, I can't take care of them. And so it's so important to be involved. You know, you wouldn't send your, you know, your high school graduate off to college without doing some research on where they're going. Yeah. Um, you know, it's no different. We've got to be more involved with our own health care and what we want in the future. Yep. So we and just need to share that. That's right. And the, the, I think the point of this, the reason why we were excited about offering this podcast and doing this series is this is really what this is, right? This is this is what kind of resources do we have? What kind of advocacy groups are there that, that we can learn from? What other kind of treatment modalities or um, clinical um, testing is available to help family members and patients make better informed decisions? And, and I did find a PBS poll today that uh, 80% of... Americans are dissatisfied with their health care. So if you're not happy with your health care, reach out to your local congressman, reach out to your representatives, and we need to make changes and we've got to have better coordination of care. We yeah. just do. It's, you know, our senior population is growing and we need to make some changes. I wish we could do a reset and start over. We yeah. can't. So yeah. where we are now, you know, speak up. Yeah. And we'll make you know, some changes, but it's going to take some time. Yes. All right. Very yes. good. Yeah. If you want to reach me, uh, my name is Brian Harmon. I'm a physical therapist and the owner of Nexus Home Healthcare. You can reach me on my email at brian at nexus, N-E-X-U-S, homehealthcare.com. 
And I'm Joe Alch. I am a registered nurse and a concierge nurse navigator, and I'm here to help you. You can reach me by phone, 214-415-3779, or you can always go to my website, um, joycaremanagement.com, and you can reach contact us, and I would love to talk to you anywhere in all over the country we can help. Just we're a phone call away. <laughs>